This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Okay, Parshas Bishalach. First of all, if anybody would like to sponsor this year, you can email Torah anytime directly, and you can say that you'd like to sponsor this year for equipment and for all the other stuff that's involved. Okay, Parshas Bishalach. Perak Tesvav Pasuk This is a Pasuk that's bothered me for years. By Avo Elima. They came to Elim. This is after Kriyas Yamsuf. They just went to Mara. They had bitter waters. And Hashem healed it, miraculously healed the waters and made it into sweet waters. And they came to Elim. They had 12 springs of water in this area, as well as 70 palm trees. And they camped there by the water, by the Yamsuf itself. This is a weird Pusik. It comes out of nowhere. And not only does it come out of nowhere, but it's repeated later on. Where it's something like, we go through the different Masos and Parshish Masay, and this is added onto it as if this is something so important that everybody needs to know that there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. What in the world is going? So Avariya Kaplan first says in the Living Torah that this place was likely Wadi Garandel. Now, I was really excited when I heard that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'll go find it. I didn't find it anywhere. I have no idea where this place is, but Wadi Garandel about 10 miles south of Mara. That's where it was over there. Mysos to Rebbe Binyamin brings in Parachov Dawa. There was once a city called Elom in this area, obviously close to Elom over here. The city might have been right by the Gulf of Suez, right? And that's what it means. They camped on the water's edge. Doesn't mean they camped on the spring's edge, but rather by the water, by the Yamsuf, which is right nearby, that's what it'd be there. Now, as a side note, the Yamsuf really refers to the Red Sea. The Red Sea is way further down, past the Sinai Peninsula, in between Sudan, Ethiopia, and Saudi Arabia. The area that the Sinai Peninsula is on is surrounded by two little areas, which I guess could be called the Yamsuf because they're connected to the Yamsuf, but we call them today are the Gulf of Suez and the Gulf of Aqaba. The Gulf of Aqaba is the one that you reach if you go to Eilat, obviously Chas V'Shalom, and the Gulf of Suez is if you go by the Suez Canal on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula and you're in Egypt, which also has to show them. So either way, right, if you go either place, right, those are where we're referring to. The Yamsuf is a different area altogether, but technically it's all part of the Yamsuf. They're connected to one another. The Shach says the word Elim comes from the word strong. That Alim means to be very strong. They were promised in the last passage that they wouldn't have any of the sicknesses of Mitzrayim. Call I'm your doctor, right? So therefore, over here, there's going to be a tremendous strength, a power that they're going to have behind them, and they're going to keep that power for a while. So when they left Mara and they came to the city of Alim, right, where they were promised that everything was going to go well, so at this point, they named the area strong. Strength of character. They were going to have strength of their bodies. They were going to be physically strong. That's the idea behind it. The Marl Diskin points out that it could be they did not have the Anani Akavod yet. Because it seemed like they're still traveling from place to place where they wanted to go, as opposed to where Akadosh Baruch Hu is forcing them to go. It's not like the clouds are leading them into certain areas. They came to Elam. They went on their own to Elam. It seems like this is a place that was chosen by them to be there. And it says, Vayachanusham. They decided to camp there. They wanted to camp there on their own. 
Now Rashi tells us there were 12 springs of water there, and it corresponds to the 12 Shvatim. The 70 palm trees correspond to the 70 different Zikanim that were in charge of Klai. So he got 12 and 70, 12 springs, 70 palm trees, again, 12 Shvatim, and the 70 Zikanim, which makes a lot of sense. The Siv Seichachamim says, these were not created just now for them. In we don't have anything new under the sun. These palm trees and these springs of water were already there for years and years and years. When God created the world, he created the Sinai Peninsula with Elim, with 12 and 70, so that when the Jews came out of Mitzrayim, they would find these 12 and 70, and they would be so happy to find them there. It's a very weird Sifzeh Palm trees do not live that long. Palm trees do not live. This is the year 2448. Palm trees do not live for 2,448 years. And while I don't deny that a Kaddish Baruch Hu can create a palm tree that can live 2,448 years, nonetheless, it seems strange that that was the proof of the Sifzeh Chachamim. That it must be that they were created from the times of from the times of Bereshis because Enkol Kaddish Tachas Hashemesh. And really, my question is brought up by the Moscow of David as well. Palm trees grow every day. What does that mean? Enkol Kaddish Tachas Hashemesh. There's nothing new under the sun. Palm trees come all the time. Springs of water sprout out all the time. It's not like all springs of water had to be here from the times of Bereshis. No. There are things that happen throughout the world that allow other springs to come up. It doesn't make any sense to me that it's like, no, it must be that these things were there from Bereshis. I'm not so sure what the Sivzachamim means, right? It definitely, he's quoting Rabbi Elazar Modoy in the Mechilta. I'm not sure that's what Rabbi Elazar Modoy says, as we'll see a bit, little bit later on. To me, it seems pretty obvious. These springs and these trees were formed sometime in the past, but not so far in the past. And the Jews came to it while it was still 12 and 70, exactly that number, which is obviously an awesome number to be able to go with. But the Miyamloes says this was all set up from Misa Barishas itself. It says when the Jews arrived in this area, it was purposely made that there would be an oasis in this area. It didn't have to be 12 and 70 from the beginning, but there was an oasis in this area. And that this is what he says. The Miyamloes says, at that moment when B'nai Israel arrived, immediately there were 12 palm trees and 70 springs. Meaning, the oasis was set up. But if you would have gone there five days earlier, there would have been, I don't know, three palm trees and four springs. Right when they came, 70 palm trees and 12 springs came forth. Right there for Klau Yisrael. Says the Mamloiz, that's how it goes. The exact opposite of what the Sif Sechamim was saying, right? That it all sprouted out just for them. And they saw it. They came to the area and they saw the trees sprout forth. They saw the springs come out from the ground. And they were like, let's count them. 12, 70. This is amazing. This is just for us. And they realized that it was for them. And that's the idea behind it. That something was there just for them themselves. Ayala Sashakar says, the lesson to learn from this is that we should understand as people that Mamish believe that a Kaddish Baruch who brought the Torah to us and that it is our Torah, this is a belief that we should have. And our belief should be the following, that a Kaddish Baruch who creates everything in the world for Klau Yisrael. That although obviously the nations need everything they have as well, the nations are also important in their way, and they get what they need in order to survive. Klau Yisrael, the Iker, and there's an extra little bit of Chiba behind, a little bit of love that goes into what Hashem says. Sure, there's a Walmart that's created so that everybody can have. We get something more special than Walmart. I don't know what something more special than Walmart is. Maybe Target. We'll get like a Target that's specifically for Klau You know, it's Target. It's like a nice place to go, you know? A little bit different. To show the same idea that Klau Yisrael is there. I think that's different. 
that's to punish the wicked that when they act wickedly, and in theory that could happen to anybody who does wicked to any other person. It doesn't have to be Jews involved. That when you do something wicked, you're punished wickedly. But this is trying to say, look, I've got something for you, and it seems so simple. It's just like an extra little bit of anything over here. I'll give an example. The example that I would give for this and why this would be so important is for my wife, my wife and I had an anniversary this past week. So for the anniversary, I knew that the present that I had gotten her wasn't going to come in time, specifically because it was a trip, so it wasn't going to be there, right? It's not like I could bring that in. So instead, what did I do? I went to, you know, to like the regular, the shopping market, and I got a card, and I got her favorite type of candy, and I got her, you know, roses and stuff like that, and I just said, like, it's so simple, but like, it's a small little gift that just shows that I... That I'm I'm good with everything she does. I guess I can say I love her, right? You have that. Is that okay? Does that get me more sponsorships? So either way, regardless, it's it's possible, right? That that's the idea behind it. But I, I'm trying to do something a little bit to show that this was the added chiba that a kaddish did over here. There's chiba that a kaddish added on just for this over here. That's the idea behind what the Alos Shachar are saying. The Ibn Ezra and the Rashbam extolled the virtues of this place called Elim. They say it was a very very special place. It contained sweet water that was so sweet it was able to grow palm trees because palm trees do not grow in places where there's bitter or brackish water, where it's like a mixture between salt and fresh water. Now think about this for a second. Usually when you have salt water right there, which the Gulf of Suez is, the Red Sea is, and you have water right by there, the water is brackish water. It's connected to the seawater in somehow, so it's not that sweet. It doesn't make any sense. If it's right there off the sea, you'd think it would be bad water to drink. Not horrible, but it's still bad water because it would be added on a little bit of salt. It wasn't. It was tremendously fresh and sweet. And that's what caused the palm trees to be there. Palm trees do not grow anywhere near salty type of areas. By the Dead Sea, you can't find palm trees that are that close to the area. It needs the waters that are by Ein Gedi, right, around that area, in order to grow those palm trees. You need something that's tremendously sweet. And although we see this elsewhere, where there could be salt water in one place and fresh water in another, this was the point that over here, it was tremendously sweet and grew that out and made it look a little bit better. The Tzavis Bracha says that as well. This Sforno says that this is a praise of Claudius Sorrel as well. Even though they came to a land that was able to support them and had more than enough of the water and the food that they needed, they moved on quickly knowing they were going to Matan Torah. Granted, they could have stayed there. This is a nice place to chill out and relax, right? This is a really nice place. They're sitting in the desert. You'd think that they'd say to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, Moshe, we already went to Mara. It was bitter water over there. We needed a miracle. We know we're going to Arsenai. Let's stay here for a little bit and sit by these waters, by these palm trees. This seems like a good place to be. And, our cutters, and the Bnei Yisrael said, no. We're not doing that. We're moving on. They stayed there very quickly. That was the actual thing. The Chida says that springs of water, this makes a ton of sense to me, make people sick and get people healthy. Listen, I don't know what I would have done if I lived in the mid-1800s. I, I, you, I am literally the definition of an istinist. And I don't want to say it in a bad way, but I have to shower. I know that's crazy, right? But I like showering. I, I, I like brushing my teeth. I know that's also crazy, and I'm sorry for that, right? But I like brushing my teeth. I can't stand going around, right, feeling that dirty feeling. I, I just, I can't do it. I don't know what I would have done if I lived 150 years ago. It probably would have been extremely difficult for me. That I can definitely tell you. But one of the things that always bothered me that I cannot understand is the water. They didn't drink water back then. They always had wine or beer. Why? Well, it was simple. Because the water back then was disgusting. 
because it wasn't filtered. You couldn't have anything else with it. It was like this brownish, blackish water that didn't have anything in it. It was just filled with like mud and gook and whatever it is and anything that you had in there. The only thing that has really gotten it down in Eschatayna Meskirayom, but this is from my youth, Back to the Future Part 2. If anybody's seen it, when he goes back in time to 1855 and he sees the water, they give him a thing of water and it's like this brown, murkyish water. That like finally got it right. That's pretty much what all water looked like back then. If you didn't boil it, it was disgusting water. Absolutely disgusting water. So it makes sense that if you drink water back then, it either made you tremendously sick or if you boiled it and took it out, then it was really healthy. And nowadays, Bar Hashem, we can add on whatever we want to the water to make it look as great or as good as it possibly was. Says the Chidah, this is the Pshat behind this Pasuk over here, that the water over there was so sweet that it was healing them. It wasn't just Stam water. It was healing water, refuel water that made it a little bit better for them. The Linnel Shabach, Rabbi Yitzhak says, this shows the fickleness of human nature. The way that Teva is for each one of us and the way it goes. One day earlier, they're in Marah. And they're screaming at God and telling him, God, why do you take us out of Mitzrayim? Why didn't you just kill us in Egypt, right, rather than kill us by thirst out here? They're going crazy against the Kaddish Baruch Hu, arguing with Hashem, how dare you? How could you have done this? That's one day earlier. And now they come to Elam and all of a sudden there's this beautiful oasis with everything there. See, what they wouldn't, didn't realize at the time is the bitterness of the water, the water that was standing right there on that side was something that was so strange to behold, they couldn't believe it. They yelled at a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and one day away, just one day away, was the most beautiful oasis, the greatest water they could have had. And if only they would have waited, they would have seen that everything was right there for them. And that's our fickleness and our human nature. Then we look at things and we see what a Kaddish Baruch Hu does to us, and we say, God, why? We don't understand why this happens to us. And the truth is, if we would just wait, just hold on a second, just think about it for a second, it's guaranteed that Kaddish Baruch Hu is an answer for you. He knows why you get what you're getting. He knows what's happening by you. And that's the idea behind it. If they would have known that this city existed, that alien existed, there wouldn't have been any problem whatsoever. The Chavetz Chaim, in both the new and the old Chavetz Chaim Alatora say, it's a muscle to a blind man in a beautiful palace. He has no idea about the riches surrounding him at all times. The blind man can't see. He thinks that he's sitting in a hovel with nothing around him, but he's sitting in a beautiful palace. He has no clue, and that's what we're like in this world that HaKadosh Baruch created for us. We think we're sitting in nothing and HaKadosh Baruch Hu has everything right there in front of us you just have to wait a little bit in order to bring this point home Marshall and I'm adapting this Marshall a little bit guy comes home from work a little bit early on his birthday and he's expecting like a nice dinner so he comes home and he sees his wife sitting down with her feet in, you know, those little ice buckets, right? Nothing done in the kitchen. The kitchen doesn't look like it's been used whatsoever. And it's a big mess. There's stuff in the sink and everything like that, right? And he comes home and he says, what's going on? And his wife just says to him, oh, I, I wasn't up to making dinner just yet. He gets so angry. He said, on my birthday? Really? On my birthday? You're not going to have everything ready? How could you not have everything ready on my birthday? You know I was coming home early. Why wouldn't you have done that? How, how could you not? And he gets so angry and so worked up. He starts yelling at her, berating her, making fun of her. How, what kind of a wife are you? What kind of a person does something like this? On my birthday, you're going to go ahead and do this? He gets so angry and his wife is standing there sh- shocked, staring at him. He just says, you know what? I can't take this. And he slams open the door to the dining room. And about 50 people are standing there. Surprise. Everybody hears every word that he just said to his wife. There's a whole table filled with unbelievable food sitting right there, right? The best food that you can imagine. Everything standing there. His favorite foods are all right there. And if only he would have closed his mouth, 
and said to himself, maybe, maybe I'll just wait a minute, one minute, before I start knocking down my wife and destroying my wife for not getting everything ready, he would realize everything is there. Instead, he made a very, very awkward silence, a golden awkward silence, right? That's what ends up happening. That's the muscle that happens over here. His, how embarrassed he must be because everything was right there in front of him. We say in Mizmor Shir every single morning before you get to Baruch Shamar, You turned around my sackcloth into happiness. You turned around what could have been something horrible into something that's unbelievable for me. Whether it's the worst thing in the world that you can imagine happening to you. Whatever that is, right? When a person complains about this and that and the other and saying this is the worst thing that could have happened. That, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, has the ability to turn into Lamacholi. It might have been even better. How is that possible? This is not possible. You don't understand what happened over here. You don't understand what happened over there. And I get it. Of course I don't. Of course I don't. But nonetheless, it's hafaktav mispidi l'macholi. It turned into a simcha. I just didn't get it at the time. At the time, it didn't make any sense to me at all. In fact, at the time, it seemed to me like God was spitting in my face and yelling at me. But I promise you, says a Kaddish Baruch just wait a little bit. I promise you, it's right there for the taking. And you'll understand it soon enough. And you know what? Maybe you won't fully understand it. But you'll get that I had a plan for you, and you'll get that you needed this for your development, your growth, for something you needed over there. I tell this story all the time, but my son, Nochi, is probably the greatest example of this. What he had with the disease that he had in his leg, although obviously at the time it was ridiculous. And looking back at pictures, we have no idea how we got through that year and a half, two years where everything was happening. But nonetheless, at the end of the day, we look at ourselves as changed people because of it. My son is a different person because of it. And that bracha, a bracha of a Kaddish Baruch giving us a disease, which is one in a, the 200,000 kids that get, it's a crazy thing. And a Kaddish Baruch blessed us by allowing us to be a part of it. We never would have known about Chai Lifeline without it. We never would have known about the Camp Simcha Special without it. We wouldn't have had access to so many great people who were around if not for this. And I've been able to give back a little bit by having Shabbatones in my house, by bringing kids in, now knowing and understanding what these kids are going through and knowing what the parents are going through, how the parents are surviving throughout all of this. It, it, it's a bracha. And yes, at the time, I would not, if you would have told me, if you would have come up to me and said, this is a bracha, I would have smacked you in the face so hard. Smacked you in the face. How do you call this a bracha? I understand that. But for me, looking back at it, it became a bracha. And that's the hafaktamis vinolochali in some way. One of the shamashim of a great Hasidic rabbi, they didn't say names on purpose, obviously. One of the shamashim of a great Hasidic rabbi, unfortunately, was having a very difficult time. He was very, very poor. And his, his pants were threadbare. You could see they were like torn on the bottom. His shoes looked like they were four or five years old and they were destroyed, completely destroyed. The Hasidim all saw this and they said it's not proper. So they put up a, a collection together. They made a collection for everybody together and they started collecting from every person and they put together a nice sum of money to be able to give to this Chassid. He's been serving the Rebbe faithfully for years. They gave, they put this money together and they gave it over to the Rebbe and they said to the Rebbe, please, we don't want to give it to him directly. That would be embarrassing to him that we can see that he's he's so poor. We want to give it to you, to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe will give it over to the Shamash. The Rebbe said, this is an unbelievable idea. He needs this very badly. This is a very good, very, very good idea. See, the Rebbe takes the, the money and he puts it in a certain part of his desk and he went up, he went to go do something, etc. That Shamash had access to the room he saw the pile of money and his Yitzhahara got a hold of him and he couldn't handle it and he went in and he grabbed the money he pocketed it and he went out went out the problem was the Rebbe knew exactly who had access to that room at that time knew it was only the Shamash who wasn't worried right and he knew that the only person who could have taken it was the Shamash called him back in 
called him back and he said to said to the the chassid, he said, "I want you to know the money was yours, but you couldn't wait. Yitzhara got a hold of you." And man said, "It's my first time that I've ever done this, Rabbi. I promise, the first time." And the Rabbi said, "I believe you, but I can't keep you as a, on, in your job. If this is what happened, I can't keep you in in what you're doing." And he had to let him go. Can you imagine that guy? Five minutes later, would have had the money. It was his money in the pocket, in his pockets. It would have been his. And now, not only did he lose his job over it, but he lost his dignity from it because everybody realized what had happened. Nobody wanted to say anything. But everybody realized something had happened over here. It's just a sad thing. It's like taking five minutes before, five minutes before. So now let's get back to the alien. Was this enough food and drink for everyone? How could it be? I want you to think for a second. 12 springs and 70 palm trees for a couple million people? 600,000 Jews between the age of 20 and 60 that were men, not including the women and the children and the older men over there? How in the world is it possible that there was enough people here? So Josephus says, it wasn't enough. There wasn't enough there. They saw the springs. They saw the palm trees. said, very nice. We can't have any of it. It's not enough for us. And they continued eating their mun and having their be'er show Miriam. And they had that, but they did not take from this itself. But the Miamloes that we quoted above says that it was a true miracle. Every single person in Klayosol got their fill. They drank everything they wanted to out of the springs, and the springs didn't dry up. They had as many fruits they wanted to from the trees, and there was still more fruit in the trees itself. That miracle happened at Klayosol because they deserved to see Hashem's rachamim after they saw the bitterness at Mara, the midas at din in Mara. So they got something that's awesome, and every single one of them ate from it. They were able to eat from it. The Ibn Ezra says that could be, could be that it was miraculous, but he says it's more likely that there were 70 different types of palm trees. And he goes on and says, it's possible there were 70 different types of palm trees for every shavit in Klau Yisrael. That it wasn't just 70 trees. 70 trees for every shavit. And then he goes on and says, it could be it was 70 different palm trees for every Jew in Klau Yisrael. That every Jew got a total amount of 70 different palm trees aside from the 12 springs. And it was a sign showing them that a Kaddish Baruch who loved them was taking care of them so much. It's possible that it's something like that. But then there's bigger kasha. 12 springs of water and you only have 70 palm trees? That's a small amount of palm trees for 12 springs of water. You'd think that one spring could have 70 palm trees next to it. One spring would be able to do that. But 70 palm trees is nothing. You'd think there's 700 palm trees is what you should have over here. Not just 70. What does it mean? So the Be'er Basada says it seems like these springs were very small. They didn't have much water in it at all. When B'nai Israel came, that's when they grew. And then immediately more palm trees came. See, we said before, the Miamloi said that the palm trees grew right when Kla Yisrael got there. They did. They grew and there were 12 and 70. And they all saw 12 and 70, 12 springs, 70 palm trees. And then more palm trees grew. And then more springs came. And everything came out from this. And there was more. Everything grew after they saw the original idea itself. The Ksam Sofer suggests the Remez that the 70s Zikanim of Kla Yisrael added a bit of Kedusha to the dates and brought out some type of honey, some type of spark of Kedusha that made the Mun from that point forward taste like the fruits they had in Elam. The Mun that they had tasted like Elam, tasted like those trees, those date trees that they had in Elam. They were Kitsapichis Bidvash itself. The 12 springs were what they tasted when they tasted the Be'er Shomirim. The Be'er Shomirim copied what they had in Elam. And therefore the reason why we mentioned Elam with the 12 springs and the 70 palm trees because this was the taste of the mun and the water from that point on in Klau Yisrael. From that point on, that's everything they got. Yeah. So 
from the psukim, it definitely seems like the mun and everything else came to them afterward. It seems that way. It's possible that something's a little bit out of order and that Elon came a little bit afterward, but it seems like the, the mun came a little bit after all this, if we go with the order of the psukim themselves. So that means that the mun that they had was all based on that itself. How long did they stay there for? Ibn Ezra says he believes they were there for one day in Mara and 20 days in Elim. But the Mi'amalai says up above that they only stayed there for one day. That's what we said, that they only stayed there for a little bit and then they immediately left to show that they didn't want all this. The Malvum says they were planning on camping there. That what Their plan, I'm sorry, was not to camp there. But once they saw everything there, they saw Hashem wants us to stay. So they decided they stayed for a little bit longer. And then they said, you know what? There's something we're missing. Klaisol knew they were missing something. But remember, this was a nation who had been slaves for the last 86 years. They didn't know what it meant to have a normal community. What do you have in a normal community? What do you need for a normal community? Well, you need leaders, leaders that can report back to Moshe Rabbeinu, the ultimate leader. You need somebody in charge, like Nisim, 12 Nisim. But you also need Zidkanim. You need a Sanhedrin. You need a Bazdin. You need elderly people who have experience and know what they're doing as being in charge of telling you what to do. You need those. You need the Nassim. You need the Zikadim. When they came to this land and they saw 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, they said to themselves, you know what? This means we should have 12 Nassim, one Nasi per Shevet. And 70 Zikanim. And at that moment in Elim, they made it that they had 12 and 70. And from then on, they became an Ada. An Ada is a group of people that got together with a plan, with an idea of how to put everyone together, where everyone should go and what everyone should do. That's an Ada. Until that point, they were just an Am. There were people that worked together. Now they were an Ada. And that's why for the first time in the next Pusuk, in the next Perak, this is Perak Tezvav, in Perak Tezayim Pusuk Aleph, it calls them Adas Yisrael. For the first time they were an Ada, for the first time they had done something to make themselves into an Ada, and that turned something a little bit different in all of Klai. So they changed as a nation right there when it came down to there. There's an interesting time to crow over here, but we're going to skip it for right now, as well as the Shach. Megillus Tainus in Memheim at Aleph, it says on the 27th of Mar Cheshvan, Rabbi Yochum Mezakeh approached the Tzedukim, and he came up to them and he said, why do you feel you're supposed to eat the Menachos that are brought together with the court? with the Korban Ola. Certain menachos, certain flower offerings have to be brought. The Tzidukim held, you have to eat them. So why do you have to eat them if they're brought with, I don't know, without the Toda, with other Shlomim, Shalmei Nidava, or with the Chatas, or with the Asham? Why do you feel that the menachos are supposed to be eaten when really they're supposed to be brought on top of the Mizbeach? Nobody wanted to answer. But one old man was Megamgim, he was stuttering, came over, it's an old Tzidukim, came over to Rebbe Yochum and says, God loved Moshe, and Moshe loved his brother Aaron. And he wanted Aaron to have good shawarma. Not just meat, but he wanted him to have bread. And remember, back then it wasn't bread, it was like matzah, but it was pita matzah. So he wanted him to have shawarma. He wanted to have a good shawarma sandwich while he's sitting in the base of Mikdash. So that's why you're allowed to eat the menachos. So while you're eating the meat, the Kohen is eating that chatos and the asham, he should also have a little bit of the menachos to be able to have a nice shawarma together. And that, that, that by the way, that is Hillel sandwich. We know that, right? Korech. Korech is not like what we have with like hard matzah, a little bit of salad and like the korban pasach inside there and you're eating it and like scratching your 
cheek with the matzah. That's not what it is. It's that's like the Nakishmak version. We will, we will eventually get the shawarma back. It's it, it's literally it's, it's supposed to be the wrap around matzah, which we hold now as chametz, but eventually we'll bring it back, right? With a little bit of salad inside there. That's the mara, right? And the the meats. That's what it really is. That's that's what it was supposed to be. That's what the Zuki said to Rabbi Yochanan Zaka. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai said he came up to him and said. They came to Elim, they had 12 springs and 70 palm trees. So the Tzuki said, that's how you're answering me? Does that mean I'm right? So Rabbi Yochum said, Chas Shalom. It says, Min chasam b'niskehem, the minachos, and the wine libations, l'reach nikoch, should be a reach nikoch, should be burned, ishel Hashem, they should be fire offerings to Hashem. He said, you guys messed up the pasuk. It's a pasuk pasuk, he told them. You guys are messing that up. The question is, what did Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai mean by mentioning our Pasuk? Why did he mention our Pasuk specifically? So I think that the reason why is because the Tzaduki is mentioning the benefits of this world. That the Kohanim, while they're working in the base of Mikdash, have their minds on the food that they're eating. That they really want something good to eat. They want to have a nice, good meat meal. And together with that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving them a little bit of nachos. To that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said... All you need are the basic necessities, the bare minimum. I gave you 12 and 70. Granted, that's not enough for a nation of so many people. 12 and 70 is not enough. How is everybody going to eat? But if everybody takes just a little bit and shares with all everybody else there, you'll be able to somehow find a way for everybody to take something from this area. Everybody will get a little bit of the springs. Everybody will get a little bit of the palm trees. That's if you do this correctly. That's what can happen over here. So Rabbi Yochum was looking back at him. He said, you really think it's about Olam Hazah? You're only thinking about your stomach and what you want to eat? That's not what this world is about. This world is so much more than that. This world is about having a little bit and being okay with what you have. That's the famous line that Rav Nassim Svi Finkel said. So the people came to him and said, what's the lesson from the Holocaust? The famous story where they were expecting something a little bit more and he said, what's the lesson to the Holocaust? And they were answering, you know, that the answers that you would give, the normal answers you would give. I think it was Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks at the time, who really, who told over the story. And everybody said, never forget, we're never gonna, you know, never gonna let this happen again. Rav Nassim Svi kept shaking his head. That's not the lesson of the Holocaust. The lesson of the Holocaust is that there was one blanket for five people. And all five people fit under that blanket. He said, and that's for you. You're all wealthy businessmen. If you can fit five people under your blanket, then you've learned the lesson behind the Holocaust. And if you don't, if you keep that blanket for yourself, then you haven't learned the lesson of the Holocaust. That was the line that he said over to these CEOs, these important people, all Jews, who came to visit Rav and Finkel. And that idea is expressed over here as well. You're thinking of yourself. You're thinking of the Kohanim. The Kohanim need to eat. They need to have something good to eat. That's not the point. The point is not that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to have the little bit, the tiny little bit of lechem upon him. The tiny little bit that they ate filled them up. That's the lesson behind this. And that's the idea behind it. So if that was it, said Rabbi Yochum Mazaka, that's not shot behind why the Menachos would be mutter. Then it Siv learns, he says something that I think can take the Medrash in a different direction. They learned quite a few Alachos in Mara. They learned quite a few. If you look in Mara, it says, Shum, Sum, Lo, Choku, Mishpat, Bisham, Niso. They were tested. They learned about all these mishpatim, these chukim. They learned them in Mara. They learned about Shabbos. They learned about Paraduma. They learned about Kibbutz of the Aim. They learned about all these things, all these things that they had to keep. They all learned it in Mara. So they finished at Mara. They learned these halachos. And then they came to Elam. They were discussing these laws as they came to Elam. And listen, there were a lot of halachos here. Shabbos is not easy, as we all know. Paraduma is extremely difficult to understand. They came to Elam discussing them over and over. What does this mean? What does that mean? What do we do with this? 
once they got to Elam, they saw the fruits of their labor. They saw that there was a whole ready-made oasis for them. They come from a bitter land, they learn Torah, and they come to an oasis. And the concept is that we learn bitsimtsum, when we learn even when it's difficult, even when it's hard for us, when we don't have enough food or good things for us. In the end, we'll be in Elam. In the end, we're taken care of and everything is there for us. Everything will be right there in front of us. They arrive in Elam and are immediately rewarded with fruits. And that's the idea of Rabbi Yochum Ezekiel was saying that Moshe didn't need to do this. Aaron would have gotten what he needed and more if he just began working a little bit harder. And if we do that as well, that becomes a bracha to us. I hope that becomes a bracha. That becomes a bracha for anybody that's sitting and learning honestly and seriously that they'll find a bracha in something they do where they won't have to worry about their parnasa. Their parnasa will take care of itself. We're going to learn we have a svasemes. In Tafresh Membez, he said the following. He says, we know that Yaakov Avinu was a yachid, an individual who comprised all of Klai Yisrael. Has anybody ever heard that Yaakov Avinu was connected to Adam Rishon? You ever heard that line? Yaakov and Adam Rishon looked alike. It's a Gemara in Bab Metziah. I believe it's on Pei Dalar Menalf. It says Yaakov Vinu was Me'ain Shufre to Adam Rishon. Yaakov Vinu looked like Adam Rishon. If it's not there on Pei Dalar Menalf, it's in another Gemara earlier, and I don't remember exactly where, but it's somewhere around there. But Yaakov Vinu Me'ain Shufre to Adam Rishon. He looked like Adam Rishon. When Yosef Tzadik dressed up like a Nar, it's because Yosef looked like Yaakov, and he knew that Yaakov would look at Yosef and see the beauty of Adam Rishon within him. But Yaakov and Adam Rishon are supposed to look alike. Okay, that's Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu had 12 Shvatim, divided up into the 12 Shvatim. And we know each Shevet stood for something huge, a different Shefa from HaKadosh Baruch who come down in the 12 pipes that come down from HaKadosh Baruch But then we know there's a third level, and the third level is the 70, Klau Yisrael, the 70 that went to Mitzrayim. There's also, like, I don't know if you want to call it Nishamos, parts of the Nishama, but there are 70 important people. It wasn't just 70 people that went down to Mitzrayim. We're not counting wives, we're not counting daughters, we're not counting other people that might have been born there, but there were 70 people that went down to Mitzrayim specifically 70 people that went down and we used that number on purpose and eventually if those 70 it became 600,000 once again there were more than 600,000 people that came to that were in Mitzrayim because there were women there were children there were elderly men etc but nonetheless 600,000 is number used we went from 1 to 12 to 70 to 600,000 says the Sfas Ames in order to receive the Torah it has to go backward we have to take the 600,000 people turn them back into 70. And then the 70 into 12, and the 12 into 1. And therefore, the Parsha goes through how they came to this land of Elam, and they saw 70 palm trees. The 600,000 became more united. They became like 70. And then they saw that there were 12 springs of water, and once again, the 70 turned back into 12. And then the 12 springs of water became, anybody know what it says by Harsinai? By Yichan Negedahor. He camped opposite the mountain. What's he? He is Klal Yisrael. Why does it mention his singular form? Just like it says Vayisu. It keeps saying they traveled. Vayichan Negedahor means once they got to Arsini, they became like one. They were all connected to one another. Their actus was together. The way that Rashi says it. And they went back to the level the Yaakovina was on, so they were ready to receive the Torah at this time. That's the idea, to bring it back to its source, the concept of how they brought it together. Yeah. 
That's a great question. The Svasamas does not answer that. I have that written on the side of my Svasamas. Why does it say 12 and then 70? If it should be 70 and then 12? I don't even answer that question. But I think the idea is still there, even if it's not specifically mentioned that way. The last thing I'm going to mention is really quick, and I'm going to say it in just one minute. There's Rabbeinu Bechai over here and a Shach, Alatara itself. Although we don't fully understand these types of things, the word Elima, which is the way that it's spelled in the Pesach itself, by Avo Elima, not Lit Elim, but Elima, is the letters of Elohim. Aleph Lamed Yud Hey Mem. Aleph Lamed Hey Yud Mem. Right? It spells out Elohim itself. The way that they understood this, the way they saw it in Elam, is as if they were getting a glimpse at how God runs the world. We already mentioned a little bit of this. How we had before Rebitzel Zilberstein saying how human beings are so frail, we just don't get things. We're in Mura and we're complaining. Then all of a sudden we see a mile away, a few miles away, is a beautiful oasis. If only we would have waited. That's one thing that we can learn from this Pasuk. We just learned another thing of how a Kaddish Baruch who takes care of us in such a way where everything is there for us and everything is so sweet and everything's there. Maybe the Midrashim through the Nitziv that if we learn properly, we'll get more, etc., Rabbeinu Bechaya says they were able to see Degolim, Degolim of Malachim when they were in Elam and they saw how HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world, not just Olam Hazah, but the world above as well. They saw the, the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs things. And all of a sudden they were, I want to say, connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu a little bit more. They understood HaKadosh Baruch Hu a little bit more. Shach says that Elohim has 120 different serufim, different ways of spelling the letters. Elima, Aleph, Lamed, Yud, Memhei is the 12th spelling of this word Elohim. I don't fully understand that, but there's different ways of putting them together. He says this word specifically refers to how they were able to come together, all help each other, and bring themselves together to get them ready for what happened for Vayicha Negedahor, and that's the true lesson behind it. I think this is an unbelievable Pusik, but at least we're starting to understand a little bit about what the 12 and the 70 meant for Kalal Yisrael. Have a good Shabbos, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.